The Local Youth Worker is a podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. Since 1972, RYM has sought to reach and equip youth for Christ. And this podcast seeks to reach and equip those parents and youth workers who share that same desire. For more information on our student conferences, youth leader training, or resources, visit rym.org. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Local Youth Worker, a podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. I'm your host, John Parrott. This is episode number 384. In just a little bit, I will be talking to Lynn, Linda, and Chris about insecurities of life and ministry. I'll be talking with them over the next few weeks, and we'll be concluding that segment of the podcast uh, in the next few weeks, and we'll have another middle segment you can be looking forward to, but stay tuned for more information on that. Uh, Later in this podcast, Scott Bird will be joining me to talk to Josh Reagan. Uh, Josh will be sharing his testimony with us. Uh, Those who have been listening to the podcast know that several weeks ago, Tree Triolo shared uh, a part of his story and how the Lord worked. Well, in a similar way, Josh is going to be talking about um, his battles with with drug addiction and how the Lord brought him out of that. And so I I would encourage you to stay tuned and, and listen to that incredible story of the Lord's grace and Josh's life. Um, I, I know if you've been listening to the podcast over the last several weeks, you know that we have been talking about RYM's youth leader training. If people go to rym.org YLT, you can register for that event, which will occur uh, the last uh, week in January, which I'm scrolling through my phone to look at the dates. That's the 23rd through the 27th, uh, encouraging people to check out more information on that and to be sure to sign up. And along those lines, uh, we're excited to announce that we will be having another training opportunity uh, that we have actually partnered with Center for Parent Youth Understanding uh, to bring about. Uh, Many people who tune into this podcast know Dr. Walt Mueller. Uh, He is the president of CPYU. Uh, We have been talking for a while about trying to do something in tandem with CPYU. And so we're excited uh, that we will be launching the Northeast Youth Ministry Summit, which will be at Ligonier Camp and Conference Center. Um, And it will take place March 6th through the 9th. Uh, Be sure to save the date for that. There's going to be more information coming out about that. And registration has not even opened yet. We're still finalizing the schedule as well as some other details. Uh, But we're very excited to have this opportunity uh, to partner with CPYU, a ministry that is very near and dear to uh, the mission of RYM. And um, I'm sure as you continue to tune into this podcast, we'll be letting you in on some more information on that. Uh, We'll also be directing you to the website, to registration, and all that kind of stuff. But we're excited about how the Lord uh, could use this, be in prayer as we continue to um, finalize the details of this uh, training opportunity. And uh, stay tuned for more information on that. Right now, here is Lynn, Linda, and Chris. All right, I'm here with Linda, Chris, and Lynn. Um, we are going to be talking about insecurities of life and ministry over the next uh, three weeks. And most likely we'll be wrapping up this segment as we've had it for the last several weeks. Um, And so we'll have a new middle segment that's uh, TBD. We don't know exactly what it's going to be yet. Um, But right now I'm here with 
uh, these three, and um, we'll be talking for uh, a few weeks about this. And we don't know exactly where this conversation will go. Um, also, just want to let our listeners know, Lynn is at a coffee shop recording this. Um, she's very committed. Um, so every now and then, <laughs> when she when she unmutes, you might hear some background noise or the espresso machine. Um, is that the really loud? I guess the grinder would be the loudest uh, machine at a coffee shop. There's a lot of loud things happening here, but it's just the flavor of Virginia. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. Um, But yeah, I thought maybe a good place for us to begin is maybe reflecting on some of the previous discussions. You know, we've had not only some of the the co-hosts of this podcast, but Paul David Tripp spoke about insecurities. Rebecca McLaughlin last week at the time of this recording was speaking about um, insecurities. Uh, So anything that has resonated over these last few weeks uh, with any of you guys, does anyone want to jump in and kind of share? I know for me, the, um, the few, last episode with Scott Bird, um, when you and Tree were all talking about like Paul, when he's like, you know, be all things to all people. And Scott was talking about like, well, like, I don't want to be something with my students that I'm not because mm-hmm. I think that's who the, they want me to be. And that, I mean, that I resonated that that as a youth worker, but also like that was something that I really struggled with when I was a student, like just wanting to like, oh, these people will like me if I wear this kind of shirt or these kinds of clothes or listen to this kind of music or something. And so I was just whatever they wanted me to be. And it it is hard not to do that because you think like, I want the girls to think I'm cool or I want like, like this girl to think I'm cool. So I'm going to be like this, but just to, I, I reckon, I feel that insecurity sometimes of like, well, if I were a different way, they would relate to me differently. And because I'm not that way, they're not relating to me in this way. And yeah, it's, it's easy to fall into that trap of like, well, if I were different, I could minister to them in a different way, you know, mm-hmm. which is true and not totally true also. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad you're, you're starting there too, because to me, in some ways, it feels like that sums up everything with specifically youth ministry of all the insecurities. Because I, I mean, I can remember just as I was starting in youth ministry thinking, okay, I thought I was done with a lot of these insecurities, but now being around these teenagers, like everything's getting churned up again. And it's like, I'm going back through junior high and high school and all those things are kind of coming back to the surface. So, um, yeah, that just kind of sums up a lot. Uh, Chris, Linda uh, reaction there thoughts there. Do do y'all sense that as well? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, uh, an episode that I think hit me, um, as it probably hit everybody uh, in the emotional button was just Tree's description of uh, loss and uh, tragedy in his youth group, as well as, you know, just the near loss of it with those two students that got in different scenarios, you know, and I think that welled up a pretty big insecurity in me that I don't often um, address in myself of just the lack of preparedness. Like I always feel like I'm not prepared enough, um, especially for events. I mean, there's a certain level in youth ministry of chaos and harmony that that really strikes, you know, that, that makes youth ministry unique in every ministry. That kids are running around throwing balls and objects at things, <laughs> and big screen TVs, and and other children don't have good hand coordination. So, happen football to the nose regularly but like it's um but i think for me it was like man i am i I don't know it it did something very positive it made me insecure in something that was very good and kind of dish 
uh, jarred in me this to be more sensitive to what's going on around me in the environment where I introduce kids and I, I need to be um, focusing on the safety of what's going on around kids. So in that sense, like I'm flipping it upside down, like mm-hmm. this, that insecurity kind of really helped me to think more clearly about, am I paying attention to the environment that I'm introducing kids into? Like here in, in Tucson, there's a spider climbing on my microphone. Anyway, uh, in Tucson, <laughs> we, you know, in my, and in your your towns too, you probably have like you know the battle axe thing where you throw the axes at the targets yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Which, in my personal opinion, if I was in the south, I would just go buy some hatches from Ace Hardware or whatever, and I would do that on a tree stump and save you know hundreds of dollars. But um, <laughs> but that's even one of those things where even while we were there, there was a couple situations where kids were just being really dumb, and I was like, we're never coming back here. <laughs> hmm. Um. And who knows in God's sovereignty, what could have happened, you know, but thankfully we were all safe and we we're fine. But I don't know, that episode in particular really laid a mark on me that uh, I need to be a lot more thoughtful about the controlled chaos that we allow in our events and our things. Yeah, no, I'm glad you're bringing that up. I mean, yeah, Lynn and I were in on that uh, interview and we were both just shocked as we were listening to all that Tree had been through and um, yeah, it was kind of hard to react in some ways of just all he was sharing. Um, but I had a similar thought too, of just, man, all the ways the Lord protected students from just scenarios, from trips I went on with students. And, um, and so it's interesting, Chris, that you're, like you said, you're kind of flipping this on its head, that there are some ways in which maybe we are too secure in, in ministry, if we want to put it that way and say, we need to be a little more thoughtful and, um, uh, sobered, not insecure, but just sobered by okay, the reality of some of the dangers of student ministry and to kind of wake up to some of that. Um, so that's a, that's a good point you're bringing up. Linda, anything from you that, that's, that's resonated, anything that you're, you've thought about? Yeah, I'm going to try and see if I can remember how to draw all these points together in my head, sure. because some of what we've been talking about, you know, think about like that situation that Tree brought up and it's like, I think we all sort of have this insecurity of like imposter syndrome and all it's going to take is like one big situation for us to be revealed that we're not like who everybody thinks we are um, and who we want to be. And that word um, like preparedness that uh, Chris brought up, like for me, I don't think about that so much um, in the like, am I prepared in the details of events, but like, am I prepared when someone comes to me with like a really hard situation and like, I, am I going to have the answers that they want? Am I going to be able to like, um, maybe not even give them the answers, but like meet them in their moment of need with the kind of response and compassion or whatever that they need? Or am I going to like freeze and be like, I don't, I don't know what to say right now. And I know you need something for me. Um, and that for me is like something where I, I am trying to grow and like learning to not have this mindset of, oh, I need to be prepared for all of those things. Cause you literally can't prepare for every scenario that could come up. Um, like there's, there's just no way you could anticipate everything. And so instead like learning to be present with people and to not get so caught up in like, um, am I saying the right thing? Um, what, 
do they think that I'm doing well in this moment? Because the more I'm using energy to cover my insecurity and to quell my anxieties, the more I'm likely to miss out on what God is doing in that person and like through me and the less likely I am to like connect with the Lord and with them in that moment, you know? Yeah. That's one thing I've been thinking on. Yeah. He said a lot of good things there. One, I mean, imposter syndrome, I want to come back to because that was one uh, I wanted to talk more about. But um, yeah, to be present with people. Um, I mean, yes, so much of our insecurity, it can just remove us from okay, this specific conversation the Lord has called me to right now, um, trying to give my all to it, but but being pulled away because of insecurities. Um, Lynn, you were starting to react to, did you want to say anything to that? Oh, I feel that of, I mean, it happens. I remember doing this with my dad when we were, when I was growing up and he would ask me a question about religion or, you know, growing in Christianity or something like that. And I knew he had an answer in his head and it would stress me out because I thought I want to answer with what he has in his head, but I don't know what it is. And it would just stress me out so much. And I remember telling him like, dad, I'm feeling this way. I get so frustrated when you ask me those questions, not because I don't want to talk about you, talk with you about these things, but because I feel like you have a certain answer that you want to hear. And I don't know what it is, <laughs> or I'm afraid I'll say the wrong thing. And he told me, he's like, oh no, Lynn, I just like, I want to know what you're thinking. Like, yeah, I have my own answer, but your answer doesn't have to be my answer. And so when Linda was saying that of like, oh, am I responding the way they want me to respond? I constantly battle with that of like, mm-hmm. when my, oh, my old boss would ask me a question and be like, how does he want me to answer? <laughs> it's yeah it's a huge insecurity of like will I perform the way they want me to perform instead of Mm -hmm. am I just going to perform well like you know yeah no so so true um I know we only (laughs) have about five more minutes left um but thinking about this imposter syndrome I'm just curious um do y'all think there's there's a healthy aspect of that um and again just imposter syndrome let's just say you know, it's kind of the thought of, I don't belong here. I'm out of my league. I'm not gifted enough, talented enough, whatever enough um, to do the job the Lord's calling me to do. Um, do y'all think there's some healthy aspects to that? Or also just how do you guys experience imposter syndrome? If you do in your ministry, whoever wants to jump in, it looks like Chris might want to go. And, you know, I've, I've really thought, so I met, um, I won't mention his name, you know, I met with a pastor, I don't know, many, many years ago um, when I was starting out in youth ministry. And I was just saying, man, I get to come to work and high five the other people here. And I get to, you know, go to lunch and coffee with people and hear their story. And they're asking me for insights on their lives. And you know, all the great joys of if you really truly are called into ministry. And if you're not, you're just a Christian that loves engaging with people. And all of a sudden you jump into a job, getting a paycheck to spend time with people and someone else is basically paying for that, for you to do that. Um, I think you're weird if you don't experience imposter syndrome to some degree in, in that, like, how am I able to do this? How am I able to to spend time with people, make virtually make my own schedule to, mm-hmm. uh, to do all these things. So, I mean, I think in one sense, yeah, you're, you're freaking weird if you don't experience imposter syndrome because <laughs> it's such a blessing to be called into ministry and then to actually experience it in a healthy way. You are going to wonder, is it really, but in the other sense, uh, when I was talking to this, this older pastor, um, I was judgy. I was being judgy. So take, 
take that take what I'm going to say with a grain of salt here. But <laughs> I'm sorry, you you're judging the older pastor. Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, I was okay. judging the older pastor when as he was telling me, you know, I don't even know if I'm, you know, it's it's like I'm just waiting for the day that somebody comes down and says, hey, you're really not called into ministry, are you? And he said that he'd be like, no, I'm, I'm probably not. And that butted up against a whole lot of Charles Spurgeon, you know, literature. And it bu- it bumped up against a whole lot of Jonathan Edwards and a whole lot of just these saints of old that uh, talk about their call. Richard Baxter, like a whole lot of these these old saints that have such a great confidence in their calling that um, it wouldn't be a question of uh, imposter syndrome for them. Like they 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 would never be like. Yeah, I wonder if I really was called into ministry or anything, you know, Um, and it made me wrestle with this question of, is this just fate, like false humility? Um, And is false humility appropriate to say, yeah, you know, sometimes I wonder if I'm actually the good fit for this, Um, where it sounds really humble. But then at the same time, like, I love meeting with men and women in ministry that really, um believe in and have had their call into ministry affirmed and they're confident in it. Hey, I'm supposed to be here with you right now, holding the cold rail on the side of this hospital bed. This is what I'm, this is what I was born to do. God's called me to this. And there's some serious wisdom that I've gleaned from those people. Um, And I can name tons of them, you know, but so I don't know. So I wrestle with, does that make sense to y'all? Like I really wrestle with, is this just false, a false humility to make myself feel better um, or more validated or more approachable? Or is it inappropriate to have a, an extreme confidence that God has truly called me into this ministry to work here? And I feel like poof, regardless of the situation, regardless of the kid or the parent or the person or whatever that I'm facing, man, he has really called me here. And like, I am in the right place. I'm supposed to be here. And mm-hmm. To be confident in that, I don't think is arrogant, but um, but I think a lot of times our culture may perceive that as an arrogance. Um, but then I'm a Calvinist too, so I'm considered arrogant anyway. You know, <laughs> the- <laughs> put it on my tab, right? But uh, <laughs> but I don't. That's kind of that's kind of where my mind's been going. What do y'all think about that? Yeah, Linda, Linda, thoughts on that? Yes, I think there's a redeemed. Um, a side of um, almost, I mean, if we can say that a redeemed side of imposter syndrome, right? Like I, I, I think the times when I felt most confident in my ministry is when I was like fully, you know, like, um, or I guess I, I regretted the least what I did in ministry. (laughs) It's when I was like fully relying on the, the leading of the Lord, right. Is like, God, I don't understand why you let me do this, but I, I'm going to do it like, because this is the coolest job ever. And this is the coolest privilege ever. And I'm so grateful that you do let me do this. I think it's um, the, with the, um, yeah, feeling too confident. Like, yeah, I was made to do this. Like, you know, there's a lot of things you can fake it till you, till you make mm-hmm. it. Um, and I think relationships can only go so far with that. Um, mm-hmm. But with imposter syndrome, I think the redeemed side of that is feeling like, well, I, I see I see why I shouldn't be doing this. And I see, and I see that in the scriptures all the time, right? I see why a lot of the disciples shouldn't have been disciples, right? Or like <laughs> the followers of God are like total idiots sometimes. Um, and so in that, that's the, I think that's the redeemed side of imposter syndrome. So as long mm-hmm. as it's, um, yeah, that's it. 
Yeah, that's that's good. And let's um let's go ahead and draw this to a close and maybe pick up here next week as well with this this thought and kind of have some concluding comments on it. Um up next, we're going to have Josh Reagan with us. Uh, he is going to be sharing his testimony as well, kind of continuing in the theme that Tree set up for us and telling some of his story. Josh is going to share uh, some of his today as well. Um, and I might say some of that at the beginning. We recorded that conversation a long time ago, so I have no idea if I already set that up or not. Um, but here's Josh Reagan and Scott Bird will be with me as well. All right, welcome back, everybody. I'm here with Josh Reagan and Scott Bird. Josh, Scott, how's it going? Pretty good, man. Just uh, just glad to be here with you guys. Yeah, going good. I'm excited to hear Josh. Yeah, I know our um, listeners know Scott. He's been on um, serving as a, a co-host uh, for a while. Um, Josh, this is your first time on the podcast. Um, but why don't you tell everybody what, which church you're at, where, where you're serving? Okay, so yeah, I'm I'm at. Uh, Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi, and I'm serving as the youth director and ministry assistant up here, and my wife and I and kids, three kids, uh, we've lived up here for, for about seven years, and I've worked at Delta Streets Academy and, and also here at Westminster, so doing that and going to RTS, trying to finish up in May, so that's that's what we're doing right now. Yeah, you can see the light at the end of the tunnel um, with seminary. <laughs> it's there. That's uh, it's glorious. Yeah, and that's no shot at seminary. We love seminary. It's good, yeah. but it's also good to get out. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, yeah, I know, Josh. I, I, I'm trying to think. The first time we we met, um, but I think RYM Youth Theater training. Maybe it could have been a summer conference. Um, but yeah, one of those times as you were, you know, serving at Westminster, um, and it's been fun to be able to connect with you. And then this last summer, you and I got to sit down and, um, I got to hear a little bit more of your story. And, um, those who listen to the podcast know Tree kind of set this up for us, um, a couple weeks ago where we're going to be having some people come on periodically and, and talk about their testimony, not always just testimony of salvation, but testimony to, uh, difficult providences that people have experienced and how the Lord has taught them through that. But today, Josh, you're going to be sharing uh, about your testimony. So, um, and then Scott and I will be chiming in kind of throughout, but, um, Josh, we appreciate you being willing to come on and, and share a little bit about your story. So I'll go ahead and turn it over to you. Yeah, brother. I appreciate it. I wanted to start off and say, um, I think we did meet at YLT and, and my wife and I have been super, uh, encouraged and blessed by, by that youth leadership training and everything RYM. So thank y'all. Um, but yeah, I'll start, uh, I'll start at the beginning. Um, in my childhood, uh, uh, my parents were, my parents got a divorce before I can even remember. So I grew up in a single parent home. My mom did the best that she could. Uh, she had us in church, myself and my sister, she had us in church, uh, on Sundays, every now and then we'd go on Wednesday night. And, uh, I mean, she was, she was doing the best she could. Uh, I had a good relationship with my dad. I got to see him every other weekend. And really whenever my mom, I mean, whenever I asked my mom, she would let me go see him. So it wasn't a, a super difficult situation uh, at that point. Um, but I, I was in the church, uh, at an early age and, um, I'd say around middle school, I was at a, a revival meeting and, uh, heard the, the, the hellfire and brimstone sermon. And, um, 
about 15 kids, 15 of my friends went forward at the altar call and I, and I didn't want to be left out. So I went up there with them and I'm not, I don't want to knock that stuff completely because I know people are saved in that. I'm, I'm sure the Lord saves people in that, in that setting. But for me, it was more of, I just wanted to follow my friends. I didn't want to be left out. I didn't truly understand the gospel. And that was when I was about 11 or 12 years old. I just went forward and 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 did that. And then I was baptized and um, really just went about living my life. Uh, I, lo- I love sports, played baseball and soccer. And that's really what my life revolved around was youth sports at that point in time. And uh, I went through... I'd say middle school, high school, living for self. Um, I, I can look back on it and just see that I was a very selfish young man. I like to do, I did things externally that would um, comply with what my parents wanted me to do. And, and I wanted to present myself as a nice young man, you know, say, mm-hmm. say the, the, the prayer at the dinner table uh, say my prayers at night, but I would say there was no real uh, relationship with Christ. I did not understand the gospel. I was trying to basically work myself into heaven and believe that I was a pretty good person when I compared myself to other people. Hmm. So at that point, um, I ended up getting a scholarship, a baseball scholarship, and went and played a couple years at Holmes Community College in Goodman, Mississippi. And um, while I was there, I was out from under the roof of my mother. And so uh, I, I sowed the the proverbial wild oats, if you will. I just I just started partying a lot, um, doing other things that I knew were wrong. Um, but I yet I continued to do them. And looking back on it, I can see that the more the deeper I went into sin, the the, the more hardened I became, the more callous I became, and and I would do things that you know, things that I would never think I would do. Right. Um, but I had surgery, I had shoulder surgery, my, my freshman and sophomore years, I had back-to-back surgeries. And that's when I was introduced to pain medicine. And that that's when my life really, um, began to unravel and I became addicted to pain medicine, hydrocodone, uh, oxycodone, you name it. Um, I loved it. And I felt like that was the one point I would say in my life where I felt at home. Uh, it, it just, it, it felt like the thing that was missing. Now, after reading uh, uh, Augustine's Confessions, I, I know the thing I was missing was God, right? But, but mm-hmm. pain medicine seemed to really, you know, fill that void. And so over the course of the next 10 years. So this started in 2001 when I was a freshman in college. And so over the course of the next 10 years, um, my goal in life was to find more, to find more pain medicine. I had to figure out a way to buy it, obviously, and uh, figure out who could supply it for me. And, And really it consumed my life from the moment I woke up to the moment I went to sleep, it's all I thought about. And um, that is a miserable existence. It's like being in prison and yet not being locked up. I mean, it was like I I could not have any meaningful relationship with anyone because 
I, I, I was using people to get what I wanted. And uh, very, just a, like I said, a very depressing life. And so um, I ended up going to rehab for the first time, probably and some of these dates. I can't remember exactly, but let's say around sure. 2006, I went to rehab for the first time. It was an outpatient clinic. I was there about 10 months going to uh, going to meetings and, and I, I, I was clean for those 10 months, but um, my, my spiritual walk, it was very, I would say new age, looking back on it, very new agey um, you know, spiritual, not religious, just, just a weird, uh, you know, anyway, it was, it was a, a weird time. Um, but I was clean. And so that, that to me, that was, that was what I was shooting for. And then once I got out of the 10 month program, I don't know, uh, I don't know what really happened to kind of trigger me to go, to go back to using drugs again, but I ended up starting using again. And every time I would start back, I would have to st- I would have to start with the same amount that I stopped at. And so at this point, I'm probably taking, you know, uh, let's say 10, 10, 10, 10 milligram uh, hydrocone on a day at that point and uh, started doing that. And, and the tolerance would build up. And so I'd have to take more and more. And um, after I started using again, after that first rehab, I, uh, I actually got arrested a couple of times, not for drug possession, but I was under the influence for sure and uh, got arrested a couple of times. So I'm starting to see these um, consequences uh, for my actions that, that um, you know, the tangible consequence, I'm, I'm going to jail, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, decided I needed to get help again because I can't keep doing this. And so went to my parents and, and said I needed help again. And I, this time I went to um, an inpatient clinic, Harbor House, and uh, um, stayed there three months. And so this was my first time in inpatient clinic, stayed there three months. You know, things were kind of the same. I mean, I, I, I got off the medicine. I had to. I was, I was uh, locked up, basically. Um, but nothing was changing inside me you know, there was no heart change there. It was just, I'm getting dried out, you know, cleaned out. And, um, and so when I got out of that three month program, I would say within the, within maybe one or two months, I was back to using again. And that, that third time when I went back out, um, things were really bad. I mean, I, I was taking up upwards of 25 pills a day, like 25 hydrocodone a day. And that was killing my liver. So I started taking, I started doing fentanyl and um, tried heroin, um, just some really, uh, really terrible things. And um, I just, I could not live with myself. Like I, I had to be high in some way, or I just couldn't, couldn't even exist or that's how I felt. And um so, uh, it was April the, well, I have it on my wrist, April the 25th of 2010. I was, uh, out with some friends. I was, um, penniless. I had no money left. I mean, I had gone into debt trying to supply my idolatry and, um, 
no money, no, uh, no, no more drugs. It's, it's all gone, but I'm hanging out with my, my friends and we're on the King. We're at the King Edward hotel. And I remember being on top of the King Edward hotel and just wanting to jump hmm. because I felt like that's the only way that would stop the, the pain of, of what I was doing to myself and doing to other people. And I, I do remember as I'm looking over thinking, and I, and I would say this is God um, just, you know, letting me know it, it was not going to be okay for me to jump. Like, that's not the answer. You know, I knew that, that I, I would say through just general revelation, like, I know there's a God. I know there's, there, there's one who has made all things. Um, I didn't understand the gospel at that point, but I knew that, that jumping was not going to fix the problem. But I knew that there was a, that there was an issue, like that there was a, there was a debt that I owed um, that I couldn't pay. And so thank the Lord, I did not, I did not jump and, but I, I did go back um, into the, into the room that night and um, we were staying with a friend and, and I just took whatever medicine they had in their cabinet. I wasn't trying to end my life. I don't think I was just, I just, went looking for medicine, took everything that they had in the cabinet and uh, went to sleep. And um, by God's grace, woke up the next morning and I knew that it had to end. I remember crying. My, my buddy was taking me home and I remember crying in his car and I was like, man, it's over. Like, I can't keep doing this. And um, he said, no, you know, it's going to be okay. Everything's going to be all right. And I was like, dude, I can't keep living like this. And so um, went home told my parents again and then they're at the point now where they're just they they, they want me to like what are they going to do they're going to send me back to rehab I've gone twice already what's going to be different and um I understand you know the mindset there but um when I went to the the thing that was different eventually um, when I went to detox, I went to a hospital in Simpson County and I detoxed there. And this, this little nurse, she came in and she, uh, she said, Joshua, cause that's my, that's my name. She said, Joshua, she said, where's Caleb? And I was like, what, who, who is Caleb? And, uh, she said, oh, I'm talking about Joshua and Caleb from the, from the Bible. And that's all she said. She didn't share the gospel with me. She just asked me a simple question, but and I say this to encourage people who um, I, we need to share the gospel with others. But but for someone who, if, if you just share a biblical truth with someone, you never know how the Lord will use that seed, how the Lord will use that truth mm -hmm. um, to lead this person to himself. And so she shared that that simple truth with me. And when she left the room, I, I just remember thinking, that's it. Like, I want to know this God that she's talking about. And I know it has something to do with Jesus because um, I knew that from childhood, but, but I, I just want to know him. I, I think that, you know, I, I want to live for God. And so I prayed, I was like, Lord, help me. I don't know how to do this. I don't know what it means. And so the Lord did, he helped me. He, I went to a rehab after that detox where two men would come in on Tuesday night and they would share the Bible and they're going through Mark. And I don't know who Mark is, but I'm listening. I like, I want to hear what they have to say. So again, an encouragement. If, if you're out there sharing the word with people, you know, don't, don't give up, continue to labor. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. 
And so uh, they're sharing with me. My uncle writes me a letter while I'm in rehab and he tells me to read through the book of James. So I start reading through James and I'm just blown away. Like this, the practical, uh, the, the practicality of what, what's, what James is saying there. And then uh, when I got out of rehab, I would say I have not, I've not heard the gospel at this point and believed, but I'm, it's like the Lord's drawing me in and I get out of rehab and my uncle, the one that wrote me the letter, he would have me over every Monday night and he would just have coffee with me and he would take me through a book of the Bible and he would let me ask questions. And my cousins, they were missionaries in Yemen and they came home on furlough and they would have me over every Thursday. And this is just crazy because they're not working together. It wasn't like my cousin was calling up my <laughs> uncle. It was like God is providentially got these people having me over. And so, I mean, have people in your homes, feed them, share the word with them. I and mean, that's what they were doing. And, uh, and, and I loved food at that point. And I, <laughs> I wanted to hear, I wanted to hear about Jesus. And so anyway, they, they had me over every week and would just take me through, uh, the gospels and eventually yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Did you express any kind of desire to, to go through the Bible with them or were they just kind of like, Hey, we want to. No, I, I, no, I did not express that desire. It was like, they came after me. Um, and you know, I, yeah, I just, I, I took it up because I, that what I had read in rehab had sparked my interest enough in, in my experience that I had with that woman. And the, I, 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 I wanted to learn. And so, yeah, it was them pursuing me and, and really looking back on it, it's the Lord pursuing me through them. Right. We're ministers of reconciliation. Um, and, and it's God who sent us. So, uh, eventually my, my cousin tells me about this podcast, this, this, uh, it was, uh, it was actually Matt Chandler, um, a podcast where his, his sermons would be, uploaded and I just started hearing uh the gospel being preached and somehow I'm led to Ephesians chapter two. I remember thinking I or no, I'm sorry, let me go back. At my uncle's house, one Monday night, he has a man come over and um a, a friend of his come over and share and, and talked to me. And the guy asked me, he said, he just point blank. He said, are you saved? And I said, well, I was baptized when I was 11. And he said, I didn't ask you if you're baptized, I asked you if you were saved. <laughs> and so <laughs> I'm very pointed. And, and, uh, you know what, he didn't, he didn't go any further than that, which I mean, uh, you know, Hey, whatever God used it, but <laughs> I went home just terrified. I was like, how do I know that I'm saved? And I kept looking for this hoop to jump through. Like, what do I do to like make this take? Right. And, and, and so eventually I got led to Ephesians chapter two. And I just saw that uh, it, it, Ephesians two, one through 10 is just a beautiful layout of the gospel that we are dead in trespasses and sins. And I could look at that and say, amen dead. I'm dead. You know, uh, I'm pursuing the prince of the power of the air. Y yes, this is, I'm following after Satan. And then just seeing that, but God, 
and 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 seeing that there's nothing I can do. I, I, I rest and receive Christ alone. It's him and his work alone. And, and so I would say at some point through reading through Ephesians chapter two, it's like God took the blinders off and I, and I got it. It was like, he, Jesus has done this. I, I'm to believe it. I'm, I'm to, yeah, I'm, I'm to put my faith in him to rest and receive him. And so at some point there in the year 2010, I would say the Lord uh, saved me and uh, hope I didn't ramble too much. Mm-hmm. All that. Um, do yeah. I have any? Okay. That, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. Praise the Lord. Um, that's awesome to hear that. Um, I mean, there, there's definitely, I, I know it seemed like when we spoke, um, I'd like to, yeah, I'd like to hear about that woman that first spoke to you and uh, said just the, the simple words, Joshua, where's Caleb? Um, and again, were you, were you called Joshua? Or are you, I mean, I think you go by Josh, right? No, I, I went by Josh. I mean, everybody but my mom, maybe when I was in trouble, she'd call me Josh. <laughs> but, uh, and I, and, and, and get, I, I, I hated that name when I was younger. I just did, for some reason, didn't like Joshua. But after the Lord saved me and, and I realized like, one, he used my name to bring me to himself. Two, his name means Yahweh saves, mm-hmm. right? And so I love that name. Now I still go by Jod because <laughs> people have called me that, and I feel like it'd be weird to, to kind of say, "Hey, start humping." I mean, whatever, whatever people want to do. But... We can start doing it. I mean, if yeah, you it's, to... <laughs> it's whatever, man. But no, um, yeah, she, she just came in, and she was the thing I remember about her is okay. So here I am, a drug addict, taking up a hospital bed. Okay, and 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 I've been in this situation before, and sometimes nurses were not too fond. Uh, you know, just having a bad day or whatever. But I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of the dregs of society at this point. Uh, and, and, but this lady did not treat me that way. This lady came in with a smile on her face and, and I knew just the, the way that she was talking to me, like she cared about me, you know, and she cared about this Lord, you know, this God, the God of Joshua and Caleb enough to bring it up. And so, yeah, it was just a simple Joshua, where's Caleb? You know, and and like I said, I I thought maybe like she had a cut, a nephew or something named Caleb that that I knew, and I'd met this woman before, but she was she was talking about the the Joshua and Caleb uh, from the scripture. So, and, yeah. And didn't you tell me too? You you tried to find her again and like write her a letter yeah. or something like that. Yeah. So man, that, that was so after a, I don't know six months, let's say or seven months. Um, somebody said, you need to go talk to her and thank her. And so I went back to the hospital and um, like, they're all listening to this story and they're just like floored. I mean, like, because some of them were Christians as well. And so they were just, you know, um, I'm blown away at God and what God had done. But um, yeah, they, they, they would bring in like one lady after the next. And I was like, is this her? Is this her? And the lady would look at me and she's like, I don't know him. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think... And so I went back and and could not find her. Now I'm not I'm not saying it was an angel, but <laughs> it could have been. I know the Lord can do whatever He wants to do. But um, I did try to go back and find her and did not uh, um, did not see her. So I didn't remember. I didn't have a name for her. I just described her. And there were a few ladies that fit the description. But at least at the very least, the ladies 
uh, they did not remember saying that or doing that. Um, but I know, I mean, like I said, I heard it. I, I was, yeah. Um, I mean, I just called her, I guess I went on the wrong day. She just wasn't working that day, but <laughs> if you're out there listening, thank you. Yeah, and That's, that's awesome. encouraging just to think, I mean, she has no clue that the yeah. Lord used that and just how, you know, the Lord uses broken vessels and, um, and really too, there's no stopping the Holy yeah. Spirit, you know, the Holy Spirit can use those kind of things. Um, yep. that's encouraging for me because we're recording this on a Thursday after Wednesday night youth group and <laughs> beating myself up last night. And, uh, anyway, it's encouraging for me. Yeah. Can, can I speak to youth leaders? Uh, well, I'm speaking to youth leaders anyway, uh, one thing I didn't mention, um, in my high middle school and high school years, um, uh, there, there was a youth leader in Brandon, um, named Kevin Cooper, and he's a pastor in, in uh, Gluckstadt now, I believe. Um, but I, I, I knew he cared for me. Uh, he would uh, he would make it a point to speak to me um, anytime he saw me, even though I wasn't a part of his youth group. Um, he'd come to games, and uh, I know now being a youth leader, like going to the games and stuff, when you have a family home, it's not always – I'd say it's probably not always where you want to be. And I know you can't be at all of them. Like you, we do have families and 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 we must take care of our own families. I say this to say, you never know uh, the impact that you're making on the kid who seems the least interested hmm. what you have to say, because I, I, I'm telling you, I was the least interested, hmm. and but I can look back on it. And he was one of the first people that, that I, I met with after uh, the Lord, you know, after coming to faith in the Lord, and just I thanked him for what what he did, the little bit, just the just the conversations and the love that he showed me. Um, so yeah, Scott, John, encouraging all y'all. Like it is easy to get discouraged in this, but I'm telling, we just have no idea um, um, what what fruit you know is being produced from our labor. So. Mm-hmm. Even yeah. the guy that asked about if you were saved and then didn't share the gospel. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The Lord was using him as the setup guy. You know, he's like setting up. But um, yeah, I mean, that it's just like, dude, him, my uncle. You know, because I hear, like I said, you, when you deal with people who are struggling with drug addiction and really any sin, just a, a, a repeated sin, you want to just give and just be like, man you just kind of almost give up and just like they're never, you think this person's never going to change. What am, what, what, what good am I going to do? But for the Lord, you know, start up my uncle and my cousins to say, no, I mean, we're going to, we're going to share the word. We're going to not only share the word, they were sharing their homes with me. They were, they were sharing uh, um, dinner with me. I mean, they, they were, and they weren't asking anything from me. You know, it wasn't like I had to pay a fee to come in and do this or, or whatever. If I missed one time, they were done with me. It was like, they just were like, Hey, it's open every Thursday, come over, whatever. And so just, yeah, just a lot of people doing things, just, I would say major things, but, but they're also kind of minor in a sense. I mean, we're talking about something that's pretty simple as a dinner and a Bible study. So, hmm. yeah. 
Well, and I'd love to to know about your parents too. Um, I mean, I'm thinking, okay, I have five children and I cannot imagine just the, the sorrow and the heartache that they're going through. And of course, you said kind of over this 10 year period, you're in and out of rehab and all this. Just how are they trying to love you, walk alongside you, help you? Just maybe talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, my mo- I have a I have a good relationship with my my parents uh, now and um, talking to my mom now looking back one thing uh, one thing I'm going to say to parents that she didn't do that she would have she would wishes she would have done or changed um, is when I got the medicine when I had my surgery she had no reason to believe that I was going to abuse the medicine um, and so she didn't really monitor me taking it you know I kind of had it at my disposal because I'm the one who was hurt and and she would say um she she wishes she could have changed that and I thank the Lord he used all this uh for 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 good used all this evil for good but but so one thing my mom she just didn't think that that would ever happen and I would say she lived in some denial throughout my use and um at the beginning of it she would say that she enabled me in some of this. I'm not blame. I'm not looking back on that. This is, these are her words. I mean, mm-hmm. she said that there was some enablement there um, of, of continuing to give me money and, 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 but she, she didn't know what to do. I mean, she was trying to, uh, this was, this was earth shattering for her. Um, uh, I, I'm continuing, continually going back to, to these substances. And um, I think, I know she prayed a lot. Um, I know she was constantly in prayer, but parents, if you're going through it, like you need a support group. And I would say with it, hopefully we get this within the church of, of, uh, sisters, brothers and sisters that come alongside parents and, and help walk with them, um, through this. But, uh, yeah, she, it just completely shattered her world. I mean, she was, she was miserable for those 10 years and I hate, you know, looking back on that, I hate that I was so selfish and, and put her through that. And even my dad and my stepfather, my stepfather played, played, has played a huge role in my life. And, um, and, and, and there were, I, honestly, uh, it was about a year after I'm this, after this pastime of like being saved and sober and all that, that my stepfather and I would even talk. Um, he had a heart really hard time. I mean, I had burnt those bridges. I had, ruined all trust there and it took a long time to earn his trust back but he and I have such a great relationship now and he has loved my mother well and loved me and, and well through this um and also my dad I mean you know my dad uh um I love him he's he actually coaches up in North Mississippi he's in he's in Lafayette County baseball coach up there and um he's been very encouraging and, and, um, this has brought us, uh, cause we, yeah, this has brought us closer together actually. And, um, yeah, so it completely shattered their worlds when I, when, when we were going through it and they didn't know really how to handle me. They didn't know what to do. My mom would even, she would even make comments like, I wish you were in jail. Um, because at least I would know that, you're not dead, you know, or that you're not doing whatever, you know, drugs that could lead to death. And when, when your mom has to say, when when your mom says something like that, I mean, it's, it's bad. Um, 
So yeah. I don't know if that answered your question. No, that, that totally did. I'm glad you're speaking to parents because we know, I mean, youth workers and parents check this out and who knows um, how the Lord can use that aspect of your story to encourage a parent. Um, I, I know we're about to wrap this up. I did have another question, but Scott, did you have anything you wanted to, to jump in on as well? Uh, I kind of have a, it's, this is a big question. So it, yeah. You know, I don't know. It might take too long, but um, we're all just we're all products of our our past. And I think our past shapes how we do ministry. Um, how do yeah. you think that your past has kind of shaped the way that you do youth ministry? And I'm just yeah. going to go ahead and interject and say that was my question. So that's a good question, Scott. Good we that. can, yeah, man, think yeah, alike. this is this will be great. There we go. One thing that I, that I can think of offhand is is. Um, I want the kids to be able to talk to me. I want them to be able to talk to their parents about anything, but I, I want them to be able to talk to me um, and not be too surprised, not be surprised when we hear that they may be uh, walking in certain sins that other people may just may, you know, they may not want to speak to them anymore. They may want to cast them out. But for, for me going through what I've gone through, nothing surprises me. Uh, and and I don't mean that and you know look at me how awesome I, I'm just saying and nothing surprises me and so I can talk to parents who are really brokenhearted and really distraught about something that their child has done and um and 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 it sounds weird but like it's kind of comfort them in a way like look they 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 are sinners this is a yes this is a this is a big mistake that they've made but we can get through it the Lord can redeem this the Lord can. Uh, can deliver them from this. And so that's one, one way is just not being, uh, not pushing kids away when, when, when we see them sin. And, and, but I've got to remember this, as I say this guys, I think of how I treat my own children. And, and a lot of times I'm like, what in the world are you doing? Why would you do this? And, uh, and I, and, and I would say the Lord reminds me in those moments, like Josh, uh, you know exactly why they're doing what they're doing they're they're sinners and they need they need they need jesus they need they need his grace and so um that's definitely one way um I'm, i mean i've shared my testimony with the kids and the youth um without getting too graphic or explicit but just being honest with them and a lot of them have shared with me that 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 really helped them um to I guess trust me and and also know that they can come to me w when they're struggling and uh and so yeah I've, I've been honest with them about about my my past um and uh I'm trying to think of some other ways does that I mean is that helpful at all I, I know that um yeah. okay um yeah and I have, you have um well, I, I had a parent one time tell me that his goal for parenting was just that his kids would be able to come talk to him about anything. And he was kind of like, that's my main thing. And uh, sounds like that's true for you for ministry. Yeah. And and um, I, I would say that's one thing I've been really trying to work on is like, I'm not their parent. I'm not these children's parent. Right. We're youth workers. We're help. We're God is using us to come alongside the parents. But I, I do. I would in an, I guess, ideal world, they would be able to share anything and not, we don't, we don't push them away. Now, we don't okay the sin, right? We don't okay the sin in our lives. We speak the truth and love. 
um, if we truly love our children and, and, and love our brothers and sisters, like we're going to speak the truth and love in hopes that there would be a restoration there. So it's not like we're just taking in what they're doing and we're okay in that uh, there's their sin, but it's like, it's how we respond to their, to their sin. Right. Um, and it's, uh, we need to remember that we are sinners redeemed. And so, um, and I, I didn't share, I, I think I shared this earlier, but I, before we got off, I wanted you to know that my wife, Christina and, and my, my children, Elijah, Jonah and Nora mean the world to me. And uh, I didn't share in the testimony they're a big part of the later in life. And maybe we can do that another time, mm-hmm. but I didn't want to get off here without saying that um, my wife is one of the godliest people that um, I've ever met. And eventually after a few years of um, walking with the Lord, he introduced or brought us together. And so now we, we are, uh, we're married and have, have three kids and the, the Lord is, the Lord is uh, teaching us how to be parents now. So we are, mm. um, you know, we're, we're, we're walking through that. that. That's incredible, Josh. And, and you just think, I mean, again, you thinking of uh, did you, 2001, whenever it was that you said that you were just getting into drugs for the first time and you're in and out of rehab and everything. And now to think you're about to graduate from seminary, you're married, you have three children. Um, you're walking with the Lord and love the Lord. Um, that's amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. dude. And, and two things I'll try to be quick. Um, RTS is on Clinton Boulevard. Uh, I used to buy my drugs on Clinton Boulevard, but on the other side of the interstate. And so it's like this, it's like, this is like tangible, like East West. Like I used to buy them over here. Now I'm in some over here. Uh, take that, <laughs> you know, um, Satan taking L's all day long. And then, uh, <laughs> The day I went to rehab was 425.10, and my middle son, Jonah, was born on 425.16, uh, I believe, 16 or 15. But um, just the Lord is so good. And and, and and even if my kid wasn't born on the same day that I, I went to rehab, whatever, five years before, however long it was, um, it, it, was it was a sign of death to life for me. Um, see God's goodness and and so you know just thankful thankful for that awesome well Josh thank you again for taking the time today uh, to uh, talk with us and, and share uh, the Lord's work in your life I appreciate it thank y'all brothers I've enjoyed it thanks Josh oh.